0: hello and welcome back to secrets behind the music business i'm your host barry victor and today we have with us a special guest entertainment and intellectual property attorney richard jefferson of the metal law group richard how you doing today i'm doing good hi everybody hey hey um so we just want to get right into it and get some of this wisdom that you have for us but first can you tell us how you got into the entertainment and intellectual property side of the legal field and what that journey was like for you
1: Okay, well, actually, I started out as a, a manager. I used to work for a management company when I lived in Florida, and uh, we used to manage groups, uh, 95 South, 69 Boys, some of those you know, early, uh, late 90 groups. And um, I was part of it, and we, I just started seeing, seeing some bad deals come through. I didn't understand why we weren't getting paid off of certain things. So it kind of prompted me to get ready and go to law school. So I went to law school to try to figure all these weird contracts out And, um, you know, fast forward, I guess, uh, that was eight, that that was 98. I came and went to law school. So that you know, it's been a while and not, and here I am. It's been a long journey.
0: So when you became a manager, was that just something that you were doing for a friend or how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I was actually, um, during the day I had a day job, but at night I would help a friend out. He was, he was actually the main manager and I was just kind of helping with the groups and, um, you know, trying to help with the books, and I was trying to learn the business. And, you know, once everybody was, was completely confused about the contracts and the money wasn't coming in, that's, that's when I was like, you know, that someone needs to figure all this stuff out and kind of uh, make it easier for the the smaller indie companies and, and artists to kind of know where their money's coming from right. and what to avoid.
0: So with no previous experience in the music industry, how did you know that these contracts weren't right?
1: Really, it's from the paychecks. I mean, it, it, or the lack thereof, really. We weren't getting paid. We, I mean, um, I think, do um, you remember Tootsie Roll, that song, mm-hmm. from back in the, the 90s? Yes. I mean, it, was, it, it spun a lot. I mean, it was one of the number one songs for, for many weeks and did plenty of tours. And then, you know, uh, at the end of the day, Got a very a very small check for it, and um, it just it just was completely. You know, people always think that that all these artists are are, are rich and famous, but um, it, truthfully, they're they're only famous. I mean, a lot of times, if they don't handle their money right, it it goes away, and or or they never see it. And a lot of it goes all the way ties all the way back to the contracts. So when you start questioning things, if you didn't negotiate the proper terms in the first place, you have no leg to stand on.
0: So that, that's really what prompted me to, to try to figure out the business. Wow, that's great. So you kind of just became an advocate because you saw the things that weren't right within the industry. That That's pretty extraordinary because a lot of people, you know, either they don't understand it and they still roll with it, or sometimes they're benefited from it while the artist may not. And, you know, they might still go ahead with it. So I commend you on being one of those people that's like, nah, I want to see these creators actually... Be compensated for the things that they're doing,
1: yeah, I mean I, I come from a creative family, so I think that's that's kind of where it's it bred my My father was a musician, so and uh, you know I, I was a somewhat of a musician, so it, it kind of started from there. I think I've always been on on their side, and even now it's not I may not be a, an artist attorney, I'm more of a small label um, indie guy because I think that's where the business kind of meets the, the creative in, in a better way than just being just representing artists. But still I, I always look out, I always want the artists to look out for themselves and, and get, you know, get what
0: they do. With there being such an independent scene now, do you think that there are still these type of deals going on or has that minimized since the labels are downsizing and people are handling most of the business on their own when you're independent? Do you still run into those situations where, you're not getting a lot of the money that you're owed
1: yeah well it, yeah well now it's a different it's, it's kind of a different animal i mean um and, and it's it's kind of similar because back then things were they're they were a changing format and a lot of the confusion or or mystery is, is when things are changing in the industry back back in the 90s things were changing from you know cassette tapes to cds and they were treating cds as, as like new technology so they were they were paying less on it and and no one knew why, but no one knew how to justify why it, it was wrong. You know, nowadays now it's streaming. You know, this year, streaming is going to overtake any kind of downloading or, or sale of CDs. So that's where, that's where the mystery is now. And and I mean, if you Google on the internet, that's all people, all artists talk about. Like, I don't know why I'm not getting paid very much. I'm getting streamed millions of times through these services, and um, yeah. And the industry is making more more money than ever, but it's not trickling down to the to the indie artists or the indie labels. So, it's, it's uh, it you know it it there's always something, and and it's kind of a you know the music industry is kind of like a game that when something's figured out, they change it, and that's what's happening right now. Right. So, I'm moving the goalposts.
0: All right. Okay. So, in regards to that, um, like I guess um for streaming, something that people should be signed up with is SoundExchange. So outside of SoundExchange, what are some associations or organizations that you feel are mandatory for every artist to be registered with to increase the opportunity of collecting their income?
1: Well, they definitely need to be with a PRO or or Performing Rights Organization like ASCAP or BMI or or CSAT. And um, uh, there's actually a new one. I can't think of the name right now, but there's a fourth one that's actually pretty good as well. GMR? GMR. Yeah. Yeah. GMR. GMR is good. I think they're very selective on on who they take in, but they, they're very, they're very much an advocate. You know, they have Pharrell and some, some big artists that that they collect for. Um, sound exchange is important, definitely. And, um, and aside from that, I mean, I think it's just more about you being on your business because a lot of the other money you're going to be earning is outside of what, what's earned by your music but it's more about the brand now. So if you're licensed, if you're being sponsored, if you're sponsoring something or you're being sponsored or you're endorsing a product, uh, doing these licensing deals, I think that that's where you have to start thinking about intellectual property and that's, that's where it crosses over because, you know, if you're using your name on a product, that that means that you should have a trademark registered right. that you can license and then you make money off that license. Right. Yeah, you know, I tell people that the industry's kind of changed from a copyright-heavy um, industry to, to a trademark-heavy industry now. And the, the trademarks are more valuable than
0: the copyright sometimes. Right. I do want to jump more into that and take it a little deeper. But before we go there, um, I've been trying to understand where MediaNet plays a role in all of this. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I heard that it was similar to Music Reports and Harry Fox. Are you familiar with MediaNet?
1: Uh, well yeah yeah meaning that yeah like um, they're more like um, an aggregator where they they look they look, look to collect royalties from different different streams of income so they're, they're kind of like an kind of like a, a point person so they've got contacts with all these different types of um, um, agencies like like everybody doesn't go through sound exchange you know sound exchange is just for um, the the um, recorded uh, transmission. So it's mostly like sad, satellite music. Um, uh, they also have like uh, other streaming, like maybe some digital services. But there are a lot of other other areas like um, YouTube doesn't go through sound exchange. That, that's something that one of these companies would do and they, and they would aggregate um, the, you know, that like when, when you have a video and then someone plays maybe your song on top of the video? Right. <laughs> well, that. That ad, that ad revenue share um, pays out, but that doesn't, that wouldn't go to SoundExchange. That would go to one of these companies that, that associates with YouTube and, and collects on your behalf. Okay. So there, there are a lot of different types of digital uh, royalties and streams of income that aren't collected by maybe your, your ASCAP or your SoundExchange, but they're out there. And if you don't know to go out and, and collect it, you can't, you, you just kind of forfeit it or you, or it, it becomes un, unclaimed money. So that's why these other organizations uh, have popped up to kind of who, who know where that money is and then you join them and they, and they, they collect it for you.
0: Okay. So can you associate with all three of those, Harry Fox, MediaNet, and um, Music Reports? And can you sign up with them as an independent artist or do you have to be like a publisher or a label? How does it actually work?
1: Um, I know Music Reports. You don't have to. I mean, you can sign up directly. I'm not sure about the other two, and I'm not sure about the exclusivity part of it either. But um, yeah, I mean, the artists I know have all gone through Music Reports, and it seems like they're they're pretty good. You know, they they've always been um, pretty straight up, and I've known Music Reports since before they they even did this service. They, They used to place a lot of music and in, in film and tv and they were pretty comfortable there so that's why i always send people that way
0: got it got it. okay now to jump back into the intellectual property side oh excuse me, i'm getting a loud sound outside okay um but so for the people who don't necessarily understand what intellectual property is what are some of the i don't know if the term to use is, is products or what are some of the tangible or intangible things that can be considered intellectual property for people who are entering the music business that they can actually monetize. Can you just give us some of the most basic ones?
1: Yeah, well, for, for, um, I mean, the two the two main ones for music are, are copyrights and trademarks and uh, copyrights are, are anything creatively made. And, and that would include music, anything that, that you create, and you actually put it into a tangible form, uh, like a CD or, or like a digital file. So if you're singing, singing on a digital file, you've created something and, and you have a, a copyright. Uh, music, there, there are two copyrights. There's the, the underlying composition. So the notes that you've written that you plan to sing in the recording session that's one copyright, that's um, lyrical copyright, and you would do a a PA um, copyright form for that. And once you record it, that's a second copyright. So that's the sound recording copyright, or an SR. So you have two copyrights, and that's that's the main thing for people to understand. You have two separate copyrights when you have a finished um, recorded product, and each one can generate its own income, its own royalties. If you license a finished song to a television uh, show, and and you want them to play, and they play your song while someone's watching, you know, a show, that's two different incomes. That's a you know, that's a product, that's a, um, a, a master use license, and that's for the sound recording, and then that's a the sync license for the composition. So that, that a lot of times people kind of get tripped up because there might be one license that includes uh, both copyrights and that's not how it's supposed to work and that, that needs to be clarified a lot of times they should be equal so if you get a thousand dollars for for your uh, your sync license you should get a thousand dollars for the uh, master use license
0: right
1: so that, that's a, that's the short version of the, of the copyright okay uh, and then you have the trademarks so so trademarks are related to any kind of good or service that you're providing. So, you can have um, a number of different trademarks. So the United States Trademark Office has divided up all goods and services across uh, the United States that are sold into 45 categories. So, if uh, so, you can have a trademark in each one of those 45. Ideally, I mean that's. Not likely, because you're not likely going to make every t- different type of product. But, but someone like Taylor Swift has maybe like 20, 20 trademarks because one trademark is related to her sound recording, like her selling her music. Mm-hmm. One trademark is related to her selling clothing. One trademark is related to her selling um, I don't know, um, furniture. I mean, she, she has everything. So okay. one one could be related to her, uh, mobile app. I mean, th- so they're all, di- instead of when people say trademark, it's not just your name, it's actually your name tied to some product or some service. And so that, that can be, that can, as you can, I mean, you can imagine that can be very valuable if you're, if you're a, a, a well-known brand like Oprah, you know, you, you can put your name on anything and, and you can make money. So you would want to trademark as many associated with as many products as possible
0: right now are there ways to i want to say um to decrease the cost of that based on all of those different categories because through what i've researched it's like you have to pay for each one individually but if you're an independent artist each one of those uh applications is what around like 400 bucks or something so how can somebody possibly pay for all of those or should you just wait until you're like okay now I'm going to sell socks and then now I'm going to sell pillowcases should you Mm -hmm. just wait Mm -hmm. or should you just put yourself out there
1: well I would tell people that you know they they should kind of roll it out based off of of what they're going to be doing I mean if um, there's no way to really save on on the applications because each one is is um, you know it's between like we charge like uh, between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars, and it takes about a year to go through. So it's it, it's a pretty involved process. Right. But I always I always encourage artists to to start with the first two that are main. The main one is recorded music and live performance for music because you're going to be, you know, you're going to be making music and you're going to be touring. So you want to make sure that not only that you own the trademarks, but you want to for the purpose of licensing, but you also want to make sure that you're clear enough to use that name so no one else can come around and say, oh, you got to change your name or you've got to change your logo. You know, that's that's going to cost you way more than than applying for a trademark, you're trying to remarket yourself and, re- and rebrand yourself.
0: When you say live recording, do you mean your, the actual name or do you mean the sound recording when you say trademark the live recording?
1: Um, th- there's a, a live performance. Category um, with, to get a trademark. So, when you're touring and someone wants to use your name uh, for a concert, uh, you you want to have rights to your name in in Relation to live performances, uh, concerts. That's a separate trademark from a trademark related to selling uh, recorded music.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense.
1: So, that's what. Yeah, and that's, and that's where, my, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard the story of, of people getting tripped up and having to change their names, mm-hmm. you know, but after they've been out for a while, and that and that's the basis of, of what happens. Um, I mean, well, an early example was, you know, Common. You know, Common used to be called Common Sense, and um, there was uh, a dispute because there was another Common Sense that was already out there. He, he must not have gone through the proper channels of, of trademarking his name and, and he lost the, the right to use his name, the, the name common sense. So he had to change it to common. So, you know, it's, it's hard to rebrand yourself. That, that's, that's hard. That's hard and very expensive. So when, I, when people say trademarks are expensive, I'm like, well, you know, just think about what if, you, what if you get into your career for a year or two and then you have to change your name. I mean that, that's going to cost you way more than just being upfront and getting your, everything in order.
0: Yeah. So is that kind of like the first order of business that if someone's setting up their music entity, would you say, go ahead and trademark your record label name and your stage name before you even go and file a LLC or a DBA or start putting your name on records? Is that the first order of business? Yeah, I think,
1: I think trademarks, um, like I think trademark is probably the first order of business. A lot of times. LLCs or, or formation of, of some kind of something that protects you is, is very close I mean a, a typical setup of like a label or or an artist kind of production company or, or whatever is dealing with the trademark the an LLC and then contracts like that that's usually what what's like a startup package kind of thing and those are all kind of equally important it's hard to put one in front of the other but but the you know the name is very important I mean the name You can do like what's called an intent-to-use name where you reserve the name. You can go through the process and um, and that way you kind of find out if if there is going to be a problem and and that kind of reserves your rights. So, you know, when you are ready to come out, then you've already gone through that process and you don't have to worry about it. Got it. So that's usually what I recommend.
0: Okay. So what are some uh, other resources that independent artists can utilize to get legal assistance if they don't? Have necessarily the money to reach out to someone like yourself right now, or there are organizations that give information yeah. or give advice to those upcoming artists.
1: Yeah, they're, yeah, there there are a lot. I mean, um, first of all, if, if someone is is part of ASCAP or BMI uh, or c they usually have some kind of resources. So, I mean, I encourage people to always use those. I even, I like, I even do. Seminars sometimes for for different organizations, and there are a lot of things I can go to around town that where they're like free seminars. You know, people will talk about you know different legal topics, just kind of like this. I mean, I'm sure this might help some people kind of right. at least identify the issues. Um, I I personally have a site called LawyersRock.com, and I I sell agreements off it, which are actually inexpensive because a lot of people come to me and you're right. They can't afford an attorney, but I'd rather have them sign some, you know, have some kind of paperwork in in place for their situation than just kind of like throw their arms up and be like, Oh, well, I'm not going to cover myself, you know, because then they're really, they're really screwed if they don't, they don't like engage in contracts and, and actually protect themselves. Yeah. So that, um, California Lawyers of the Arts is actually a, a nonprofit that a lot of creative people um, go to. Um, I've done a couple of presentations for them. They're 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 a good they're there a lot of starting startup lawyers go there and kind of um, lend their time to that for as a nonprofit type of situation. So it's just about it's really just about searching around. It, it, it I, I know some people are like all or nothing with lawyers, but I mean, there's a lot of middle ground. There's a lot of good information out there and there there are good sources. If you, if you even the Grammys, if you go to the Grammys, like the Grammys.com or the the Grammys organization, they they sponsor a lot of good, good programs. So they they give a lot of good, um, free information or information to their members. So I would just, focus on credible sources and then look and start digging in from there.
0: Good. That's great information. I know people would probably like starting out going to those sites after they hear this. Um, So I know you mentioned just like getting certain things down on paper and contracts. Can you clarify in terms of who owns a master recording? I've had people um, ask this question about who owns the master recording. If you go to a studio and you're recording on their equipment and then you're just, paying them the hourly rate for whatever it is does the studio you're renting from still have an ownership in that master recording
1: well that that's the gray area because i mean technically they do uh, because if you don't have certain language in the paperwork that actually says no this is a work for hire then technically the one who created it like the studio engineer would be the owner of, of the master recording. That's why you never wanna get in that kind of situation. I mean, if you're paying money, you wanna make sure you don't money doesn't exchange hands until paperwork is signed. Right. Because you, you wanna still your even if it's simple it doesn't have to be like long, long paper, long pages of, of legalese and it doesn't have to be that difficult. It just has to be something with the, the magical language that, that is required by the copyright act. That says that you're the owner of the sound recording. Uh, that's a, that's definitely been a I've dealt with that a lot over the years because people kind of um, do do that a lot. They'll go, they'll kind of treat you know recording music like it's like going to the store and buying milk. You know it's like I paid for it. And I'm walking out the door. I own it. It's not that's not how that's not how it is. It, you need to have the proper language transferring. Or, or actually actually saying that it's a work for hire for you and you're the owner and the author and then you copyright that as, as your work. Right. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So does that still apply even if you bring your own engineer to the studio because essentially it's still the recording studios equipment?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, well, that's, that could get into a gray area. I mean, it, it it's hard for me to see a, a a studio, you know, trying to take the position that they, they own. Like if you bring your own recorder uh, recording engineer and you pay you're paying him, you know, it's hard for me to, to see a studio take that position but uh, from a legal standpoint they, they could because it it wasn't done properly.
0: Right. It just seems like people are just so used to going into the studios and and recording and then leaving with the master recording. And feeling like this is mine's. Is, how did that become something that wasn't ever considered? Like, okay, the studios is going to try to sue me or own the masters because I don't even think this is something that's on people's mind.
1: I could see it coming up in in a different situation though, because I mean, sure, I, I think I think we all we all know that if we go and if you go and record and and then you leave and everything's good and fine with the studio, then um, they're not gonna make it make them. Any kind of uh, waves for you, but what if you, what if you went over over on the session and you and you think and they think you owed additional money versus you thinking that it's over and and you're just like I'm not gonna pay that extra money or something. There's some kind of dispute, you know. Mm-hmm. Then they could pull out some different legal tricks and 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 kind of kind of hem you up with that. And that's I mean, if I was an attorney for the the sound recording studio, I would do that. I would say, okay, well you're not gonna pay our money. I'm gonna pull your stuff down from the internet. Mm. Because we own it, you know. I, it. You know that's. I, I I try to think of myself as a good lawyer, but I have to think of how to be the evil lawyer too, because I I deal with a lot of these evil lawyers. Mm. So you kind of have to know both sides of it, you right. know.
0: So. Well, thank you for clarifying that. That's that's good to know. Um. So to transition a little bit, I want to know what are record labels best used for in this day and age. What's your take on that?
1: oh definitely marketing i thought i had just had this conversation because you know i signed a couple artists uh this past year and just like we talked about it's like you know, where's the money it's hard to see where the money goes and advances are lower now and they're not even focusing on selling records anymore it's all about they throw the music out there to stream and then they're trying to brand the artist. So I mean, you know, what what value is is the record label? I mean, well, the, the value is is marketing. They 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 have they're able to get your name out there, and they'll they'll make you famous. And you know, like we talked about at the beginning, it, you know, people think people who are rich are, are famous and rich. That they're not necessarily rich, if, even though they're famous. And and a, a label deal sometimes will make you famous but it won't make you rich uh, but they've never they've always been master master uh, marketers and especially with all the consolidations of, of the record labels now and I mean there're only only three I mean when I when I started there were like seven or eight mm-hmm. majors now now it's you know it's down to three so they're all intertwined with the movie and TV industry so they you know they can cross promote you and make you a household name that that's where it comes. You got to figure out how to make how you're going to get
0: paid off of this. How you're going to make your money? So it seems like they're more like becoming entertainment companies versus solely just record companies. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: I mean, and you know, they're different levels. There are the majors, and there are the mid majors, even the the middle companies that do the same thing. They're all entertainment companies at, at different levels, mm-hmm. and they're all they're all trying to cross market. But but they're you know, their their goals are, are to make you a household name so they can put you on a product and somebody will see them and be like, Oh, I know them. You know, I wanna be I want something that says Ty dollar sign on it or, you know, something somebody who's known. That's kinda how they they operate. Got
0: it. So under what circumstances if you do, would you advise an artist to sign a three sixty deal?
1: I honestly <laughs> And I've had this conversation with the artists. I honestly don't believe in those deals, but it's gonna it's gonna be a, a, a balance. It's gonna have to be a balance because if you can, if if I have a, a successful indie artist who's offered a three hundred and sixty deal, I mean, we're gonna have to within that three hundred and sixty deal, if, we're gonna have to carve out some things that that artist has already accomplished and kind of and and kind of keep on their own. Before I would I would suggest going for a 360 deal 360 deals that's all they're offering now and, and for new artists they, they really don't have a choice that, that that's all they're, that's all there it's either that or nothing pretty much mm-hmm. you know for an established artist they, they kind of have a choice because i really think like we just said, talked about what the what their what their purpose is uh, a major will make you make you famous but you may make more money as an independent artist you all just right. won't be as known right. so it's it, I it depends on on what that artist wants to be. If they want to be famous, then you know they can go. Gun- and I had a couple of artists this past year who just wanted to be famous. They just wanted to be on a major. I mean, that that was their their lifelong dream. They weren't looking to be to be you know trying to hustle and and be a rich indie artist. So that's you know that's probably the best answer I can give wow. <laughs> because I'm kind of against those doing when those came out, I really, I was so against I was really against those provisions and and those contracts. And it it turned out to be the main thing that you negotiate now in, in in major deals is because that's where the money is and everything outside of the recording money. So it it, it um you know some any attorney who's been around for a while it it probably has a bad taste in their mouth with from the 360
0: deal. Yeah. So, what does a typical deal look like for, let's say, a very, very talented artist, but they have no track record? When they get signed to a major label, what typically will they be giving up?
1: Um, Well, I mean, first of all, the major label's gonna want everything, everything under the sun. I mean, that's that's how the first draft will come over. They want they want to just basically own you, everything. I mean, they want to own your social media. They want to own your, your your web presence. They want to own own your uh, touring. They want to own any branding you might do, any any ventures you might do in acting and or anything else. It, it's just gonna come over totally. Just give us everything and we'll give you a little money. That's that's the first, that's the first deal. So from there, that's where you negotiate. I mean, you have to figure out what to carve out and what to, what what to kind of um, give and take on and how, what money try to get the money up. Um, so I mean that's 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 all part of the the whole negotiation. But I mean even even with labels though, that, there's a threshold before they're even interested. I and mean, you're gonna have to have some kind of success on social media or or with some fan of some fan base that you're bringing uh, before they're gonna even offer you a deal. So that's um, that's what's changed a little bit over the over the years. There's less development.
0: Now when you say they wanna. They want to own your social media is that considered your intellectual property as well
1: yeah yeah social media is um uh, it's um technically it's called like intangible assets um okay. an intangible assets are kind of out intellectual property is like a subset of intangible assets and intangible assets are things like your social media and um maybe contracts that you're you've signed Things that you can't really put your hands on, as far as like it's not like real property, like you know, like a, a building or anything, but it's it's property that's that's valuable, right? And hard to hard to, do. so that's they're they're gonna want everything like that because basically they wanna take you and, and they wanna brand you and they wanna do it in the way that they wanna in their in the way that they like to brand their artists.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, are the labels very aggressive? in retaining those rights from you, like say you go into a situation and you already handle all the legal paperwork, like you signed yourself to your own label, you have your own publishing company, you own your trademarks and your copyrights, and then the label is interested. Um, do you play hardball with them or are they most likely still gonna to want to get those rights from you? Um, depends on the label, I think. Um,
1: because you know, there are different types of label deals too. I mean they there's the all all out label deal for that new artist who who doesn't have a lot, and then then the situation you're talking about where you 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 kind of got everything together, and the the label is just going to come through and maybe distribute you or or just um, market and promote you. So the those deals look a little bit different. You you, you have a little. It, it's all about negotiating leverage. I mean, you you have more leverage to kind of push back on a label um, with that second that second scenario.
0: Okay. So as an attorney with access to record executives, do you make it a part of your career to shop artists that you find are talented?
1: Um, not anymore. I used to do it when I was young, uh, probably uh, back when the industry was more open to that. It's, it's a little more closed now. All the A&Rs and all the other execs they're just heavily looking at social media these days. I mean, even if I have like the best artists in the world, the the second, the, first question they're going to ask me is what what's their following you know and that's that's going to make a bigger decision than for them than than who's bringing it to them because they're not as focused on i hate to say it they're not as focused on quality as they are with success i mean it, it, it's true though i mean it's true it, yeah i'm sure you i'm sure you shook your head a couple times when you heard this song on the radio like how does that guy get on there you right. know but you look at you look at his YouTube and he's got like five million, uh, you know, plays on his YouTube videos, and you're just like, okay, well, that's how he got on there. You know, he, mm-hmm. five million people wanted to see him, so a label is going to be interested to try to get him to five million more people. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So my next question is, when pursuing a music career, what are some of the first things that you should be doing?
1: Okay. Well. um, we did talk about the name thing. I think name is, is very important to lock down your name. If you're, if you're starting to put out music, are you getting ready to put out music? I think locking down your name so that you can consistently have, use that name uh, and getting a trademark on, on recorded music is, is probably very, very important. Um, second thing is, is um, really starting to build the buzz with social media. Uh, that's just, I can't emphasize that enough because that's, that's what every executive. I don't. Care, I I work in. I work with different, different areas of entertainment. Um, you know, television, film, uh, digital, uh, music. Every executive always looks towards the social media before they want any artist, any music, any television show. You know, they want to see the social media of the the characters on the show. Everything's social media driven. So that that's just something you need to artists need to really focus on get the twitter out get the instagram up get those numbers the legit numbers up too. you can tell when they're
0: fake i can <laughs> yeah. even i can tell when they're fake yeah is that something that the label does do they track that stuff before yeah. consider does the label usually go in and try to track the bots
1: no yeah 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 you can i mean you can tell i mean I understand it's kind of a if you mix it and you can attract other people just because you got bigger numbers you just gotta you, you can't have a, a million fake Twitter followers and try to go out and stop a deal it's not gonna happen right but um yeah that and then
0: oh good I was just gonna say it, it doesn't make sense anyway because I feel like why have a million followers and then you go and do a show and only five people come so I think it's better to kind of just yeah, go out yeah. as who you naturally are. If you can bring 150 people out, then that's great, and the people can gauge you by where you are at that point, not where you're trying to perceive yourself to be at.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And let's see, a, a third thing, and I, I, I always like to give three things when I when I say something, because that kind of helps. A, a third thing, I think artists need to understand that it is still a grind. I mean, you got to get out there, you got to perform. Got to meet people. Uh, I can't tell you how many times artists have met, have come to me and said, you know, I met so and so at this club on Thursday night, you know, totally obscure. I was, you know, there were 10 people in the room, but one turned out to be, you know, an exec and and they really liked me. I mean, you just never know where that, where the, where it's going to happen, where the magic's going to happen or where somebody who knows somebody. It's gonna see you, so right. so uh, it's still a grind. You, you gotta you gotta go to L. I mean, you still need to go to one of those the major music cities and do the circuit. I mean, you're in L. A. You, you know, you do do the troubadour, do do all all the the rock. So you do you do all those all those places, and you, you know you you just gotta increase your your buzz.
0: How often do you think that ANRs or the record executives are out there still in the clubs? searching for artists or just even I think out. a lot of it
1: I mean the, yeah the, I think um, you know I, I think it's the younger it's not the the major A&R's aren't going to be out there they're going to have their their younger um, I used to be in the A&R but I, I used to love it because you know ooh, I get to go listen to music but that, you know that's when you're younger that, that's where the older A&R send the young kids to, to kind of like see what what's hot so even if you you're playing, you just see some some young twenty twenty somethings out there. You know, don't don't take take it for granted that like they're nobodies. Sometimes even they're, they're interns or they're they're just entry level A and R assistants. But that's where it starts. You know, if they like you, then that goes moves to the next level and they, they take it back to their boss. So they they're out there. It's definitely there's def- there's always people out there looking looking at this thing. And it, it always ties back to like they may not go to something unless it's uh, an artist who has a, a great social media following too. So that's that's where that might start. They they might look at you look you up first and then they're like, oh, okay, let me go see this person live and see if it translates to what I see on the video. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so it, it, it's a lot of work being an artist is, or an indie label. It, it's a lot of work, but it's fun work. I I, I think I think it's most of my clients feel like it's fun work
0: yeah so with that being said knowing that it is a lot of work who is the first person that an artist should bring on their team
1: well they definitely need some kind of manager um it doesn't have to be you know that it could be a a relative or or someone who 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 believes in them and doesn't want isn't looking to just get paid because when you're you're starting out you're just not going to get the high level manager it's just not going to happen but you need somebody to kind of Deal with, set things up, and, and be your buffer. You know, you, you, it's hard to do everything yourself because then you're dealing with your relationship has to change with the people that you're dealing with. It's always good to have like a buffer. Like um, if you're dealing with a promoter, you want your manager to deal with them, and if it gets kind of sticky, then the promoter is mad at the manager, not mad at you as the artist. Right. So that, that's kind of that's kind of um, the first. I think that's the first step. You gotta have somebody who acting as your manager
0: yes yeah, so you don't have to burn those bridges personally
1: yeah exactly exactly yep and then i think once you get any kind of paperwork that's when the, that's when you may want to look for an attorney to to kind of um make just make sure you're not signing anything over all your rights early in your career when, when you shouldn't be
0: signing it okay so we we'll go from the manager to the attorney okay that's good so the next part I have is a two-part question. Um, so what are some of the newest ways that an artist can make money? And then the second part, what are the most lucrative ways for an artist to make money?
1: Um, newest ways, uh, I'd have to go back to, um, back to sponsorships and um, even being a social media influencer. I mean, I, I did a deal where a guy got paid $10,000 a month to be a social media influencer. He, he's an artist but he also does other things. So uh, those deals are out there. I mean, uh, you, you know, you have to kind of be, be known a little bit, but uh, to to some extent if you've got a good following, then people are going to be, want to be a part of you, part of your brand. So mm-hmm. you can make money that way. Um, yeah, I, I have this one guy, He he's an artist, but he's also a gamer. And he got a game company to pay him um you know x amount of dollars per month to to kind of promote himself uh, the game but then he also had a time where he can he can kind of introduce new music that he has I thought that was pretty cool um and then appearances like once you get get to be well known I mean this sort you know this new this new crop of um of artists this youtube generation they, there are tons of ways they make money. They're, they're just like mini, it's like a whole parallel celebrity type, type of thing. Like, yeah. they're just like, like, um, you know, you've got all these big agencies that, that have the, the A-list, uh, actresses and, um, and artists, but YouTube, you can do the exact same thing that they're doing parallel and you don't have to pay the agent because you're kind of, you're, you're the one. So, um, I think that, the sky's the limit you, you can sponsor products you can you can do jingles for you know for stores you can you know do um you know um christmas songs i mean all, there are all kinds of things that that you can that artists can do that, to make money and you know part part of and again like with all the all the income that you're making you're, you're writing new music so you're, you're getting more royalties and that, that's where that's how a lot of people just start building up their their indie their indie um, you know production companies and indie indie labels because they're doing all these different things and and they own all this intellectual property because everything you're creating is is intellectual property so and then then you then you've got a solid song that you can license to someone I mean there's just in, endless I, I know I'm kind of rambling but I'm just thinking like oh, there's good. there's so much that you can do you know even even with like um, vr and ar coming out i just saw like a deal come across where um you know they're creating like these music rooms in, in the clubs now where you, they can have like music but they have these like vr things that that the goggles you put on but your your music is like the, the walls are like bouncing to the beat of, of music you know and that's a whole different element of another strip, another stream of income so yeah there's a there's, there's a ton just be this create created the business side of this is create becoming as, as creative as as creating the music
0: yeah so the the second part to that question was what are the most lucrative ways that you've seen is it, is it merchandise nowadays is it touring like specifically for independent yeah I think it's uh independent I think yeah
1: I think touring is is still it's always going to be king because I mean that's that, you're you're going to get a, a bigger payday per, per concert if you get the crowd there and then merchandising. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, if, if you, if you, um, if you're, well, if, if you're selling merch, if you're selling popular merchandising, that that's good. But I'm I'm also thinking about like one of my biggest indie artists, she makes mo- the most money with her endorsements of products. So there's a, like she has an, uh, uh, hair hair um, what is it like um, like a hairspray that she uses and and she it put she always gives them a shout out in her music videos oh, nice. um, clo- clothing you know she she has another sponsor who who dresses her in her music videos or her appearances or, or on in her concerts um, they're you know different anything any anything that you can think of that, that kind of um it, that you can you can wear or you can show or you can use uh that 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 that's where the bigger money is mm, okay. i think because because those those brands they consider that more marketing money versus anything else and marketing budgets are always the big budgets so they they have no problem paying paying you like you know twenty thousand dollars to to rock a, a cool hat on, on a video or, or in, in where, where you're making an appearance, you know, they'll pay you 20,000 because they're getting all the exposure where they're going to sell tons of products way, way more than what they just paid you. Right. So I think, yeah, I think endorsements and sponsorships, that's probably the, and touring's always going to be there, but endorsements and sponsorships, that, that's where the big ticket is.
0: Okay. So what's your advice on how to actually get those opportunities if you, want to do jingles you want to get sponsorships um, endorsements if you're not someone who already has a name is that possible i mean i know anything is possible but is it very rare i would say for someone who doesn't have a large following or can someone who's very brand new just go out and you know maybe go to a car dealership and say hey i want to do a jingle for you and it's likely to happen
1: yeah i mean it's possible to happen it's just about uh, the the
0: level of of your
1: expectations. I mean, I think everybody out there is looking for a benefit, a win-win. So, any any smaller, uh, yeah, you're not going to go out there and, and tell Coke, you know, ooh, I want to be you know, give, sing your jingle. But if it's like anything local, like you said, car dealerships or local businesses, you know, they're all looking for, for those type of things like jingles or, or nice, nice, um, a, a good singer to actually Give them uh, maybe like music for their website or something like that. You know, it, they have to pay for it if they don't. If you go out there and you're saying, "Look, I'll I'll do it for free if you if we swap," and and you start, you, you might have to start for free and then get yourself started to to be known. And then as you start getting your following, then you can start charging because people are going to start coming to you. It's just a step step you know stepping stone. You're going to have to start. Somewhere, so you might as well practice your craft while you're while you're uh, building yourself up, and then as as you improve, then that's when you can start paying, start charging people for things. Okay. And cross promoting, you know, I mean may, maybe and you look for what what might be beneficial for you. If if, if there's a certain um, audience you may want to get in in front of, and that business is in front of it already then that'd be the perfect situation for you to do something for that company for free because you're gonna get in front of that audience that, that likes your music and then they're gonna to go to and, and buy it so that's that's where the research will come into play. You, you know you kind of find find what's going to be beneficial for you where the other person doesn't have to pay and that's beneficial for them and you know you, you elevate it that way.
0: Yeah I can see that working out like maybe if you're like a vegetarian or a fitness guru or something like that there are companies who would want to Mm -hmm. partner with you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. So my final question, and this is, this is the one that I think will be most important because a lot of people are trying to transition from the nine to five into having a career full time. So I want to know through your experience, how common is it that you actually see your clients get to make a living from their music careers and they're not signed to a major uh, label and they're not celebrities at all like what are the best practices that they use to su- sustain a full-time career and I mean anywhere from sixty to a hundred thousand dollars a year you know people can live off of that mm-hmm. how often does that come across your table
1: uh, it comes across a lot more recently uh, within the last couple of years um, than it used to be I mean five years ago I may have said you know it's tough you're gonna have to keep your day job and, and kind of build it but I mean I, I've got YouTubers that have uh, be their artists or, or actors or whatever that have started YouTube channels And they're, they're easily making ten twelve thousand $12,000 a month easily. I mean, and they've built, built up within the last year or two. So I can't, I mean, there is no formula. I can't tell you exactly how it works and you know, for each situation, but it I've seen it, I've seen it flip a lot in the last couple of years especially with, you know, with the emergence of social media, it's just, it's such a, it's such an easy way, to format the, to get things out there now. So, if you, if you're an excellent singer, I've got this amazing indie, indie artist, and she started, probably four or five years ago, I would say. And she, you know, she struggled the first couple of years, because she was just doing the nine to five, plus then trying to build a career. But then, once she like after, I can't remember which platform. I think it was, I think she just start, she started like a YouTube channel and then she started getting hit. And then she started getting uh, people who wanted to endorse her and, and, and put their products with you know, her and then and, and make appearances. And I mean, she, she's, I'm sure she's making at least six figures right now. Yeah, she's definitely making six figures now. And that's, you know, really, that's mostly in, in the last two or three years it's doable it's definitely doable right now I wouldn't I wouldn't want anyone to to have uh, just quit their job and and, and jump into it I mean you still have to transition but Mm -hmm. it's
0: doable yeah I mean that's very inspiring because it it seems like nowadays maybe it it is more of a reality that you can make this happen full-time versus when only the major labels were giving people opportunities so it actually seems like it kind of flipped
1: yeah. And I think a lot of people need to think outside the box of music because it's just not if you go to like uh, like Vid you ever kind of heard of Vidcom? Yes. It's like a conference for YouTubers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean a lot of those YouTubers are musicians and and you'll meet a lot a lot of successful people at, at those things. You got to think outside the box for the music industry because so that's not it, it, it'd it be tough for you to, to make a, a lot of money just thinking music you gotta you gotta expand your horizon and you know think more 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 uh, entertainment just like 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 we we're talking about with how the company is expanded to entertainment you've got to expand your mindset to, to be an entertainer not just a musician
0: right well we we've covered a whole lot I'm I'm excited to be able to release this episode but I do want to know are there certain things that you want to share that you feel are very important that maybe I didn't ask you?
1: Um, I think we touched a, a lot on it, but uh, I think I think that at the end, I think I think it's just about all about inspiration. I mean, and and motivation. I, a lot of people just see certain. They think that there's a cookie cutter way of doing things, and there's not. I've seen success come in many different formats and, mm-hmm. and many different ways so I, I think i would just want to tell your audience just just find out what fits for you and, and do it don't don't try to mimic someone else i mean you, you can look to other people for comparisons and maybe um you know what what went right and what went wrong but if it's not a fit for you don't don't try to fit yourself into that I, I, i've i've been so inspired actually by a lot of the success that i've i've seen since I've moved out here mm-hmm. it's, it's no one no one's story is the same at all and it's but you know once they get to their where they are it's 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 amazing it's amazing how you can you can just talk about your path mm-hmm. so I, that's probably that's probably the best thing I could tell people you know i mean I would have never thought I'd be an l a lawyer i'm I'm from Ohio originally oh, cool. so you know my parents are, I'm not totally you know my, my path is totally different than any other entertainment journey yeah. so I, I just tell people that same thing if it's your dream just go after it
0: yeah and i think the, the door is wide open like you said for people's different paths because i see people who are entering this genre of so-called uh hip-hop but then some people are coming at it from a perspective of i'm going to be a environmental hip-hop artist I know a lady who considers herself the mom rapper. And then I know a guy who's like the video game rapper. And all he raps about is like Comic Cons and different um, Mm -hmm. characters and Mm -hmm. things like that. But these people are, you know, they're traveling overseas and they're being able to get themselves into certain arenas because they found their niche. And so it's like you can actually be anything that you want to be nowadays. And the people are very open to it. You don't have to be the same artist from the 90s where, you know, there was a certain style or there was a certain cadence it's like the door is wide open yeah and you touched on an uh,
1: important point too because i mean as far as the, like i was saying expand your horizons outside of music industry you know expand your horizons outside of the united states because a lot of a lot of success from from some of the arts i've seen have, have started in other countries and then they came back and more successful because like if if you're on social media maybe you have a lot of followers from from another country that that's that's how that you get built up and then mm-hmm. then people here start clicking in and you know notice of you and so you're not limited you, you know this doesn't someone here doesn't get you doesn't mean someone else in, in another part of the world won't get you
0: right, right and social media helps that so perfect well thank you so much richard i appreciate you for just being on the show and sharing so much knowledge and wisdom um, can you let the people know where they can find you at and how they can get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm probably the easiest way because people always remember this. Is, is um, I have a blog called LawyersRock.com. That's probably the easiest way that if um, there's a contact page on there. I mean, I have the, the old stuffy law firm stuff, of course. I mean, it's, it's MetalLawGroup.com, but most people remember LawyersRock.com easier. And, yeah, just um, my email's on there. And and I also share information there about different topics and occasionally and it happens in the, in the entertainment
0: industry. Perfect. Well, I'll be sure to leave that link when we put up the episode and leave the description. So thank you again. It was it was a pleasure having you. And I hope to talk to you again soon sometimes in the future because things are changing all the time. So I know you'll have some new information. Okay. All right, have a good one. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Rich. Bye. Okay,
1: you too.